grace, mercy, and peace to you. From God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text for this day is 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Here again the verses that read, For one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos. Are not you merely being human? What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. You may be seated. You know, fights draw attention. They make the nudes, they draw crowds, they go viral. But are they good? Well, if you're the loser and you cry out, not fair, it's not especially. And then you hear the words, you're acting like a two-year-old, grow up. Well, Paul could have said those words to his congregation in Corinth, but he didn't. He concludes, for we are God's work, fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. You are is a whole lot different than grow up. So did Paul go, how did Paul go from saying that you're un, he's unable to address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh and as infants in Christ, to go ahead and say, you are God's field, God's building. Let's take some time and look at Paul's letter. First of all, the city of Corinth was competitive. It was a thriving business climate. You could make it great quick, or you could lose it in a hurry. And it was not just for men, it was for women as well, to gain status and to lose it. So it was important who you knew and who you sided with not only to continue up the social ladder, but to maintain it, keeping up appearances. Because if anything, or if any time things got adversarial, if you ever lost your position, your contacts, your friends could hold you up. In their world, it was like having NDSU and UND in the same city. And every day, was the Super Bowl. You wanted to make sure that you would be on the winning side. That's the way people were aligning themselves even in church. At the beginning of Paul's letter, he describes what's going on. For it is reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. What I mean is each, of you, each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? They had divided themselves up, not for teams to work together, but 
against one another, getting behind those who they thought was best and who would be the winner. Now, we've all been in situations where people disagree, and I think we would like to be on the winning side, at least to be proved right. But as you know, as it goes on, congregational members get upset and leave. Family members will refuse to respeak to each other, even for decades. Spouses will give each other the silent treatment, and marriages end in divorce. Members in the congregation choose sides. What do you do? What's Paul going to do with such a congregation? Well, Paul says bluntly, I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you're not ready. And yet, in those cutting words, Paul also gives the solution. He calls them brothers. He calls them infants in Christ. In other words, they are not his enemies, they are not one another's enemies, and they are not to treat each other as enemies. They have the greatest thing in common, and that is their Lord Jesus Christ. That's the place to start, even as infants for whom Paul cares for. I'm assuming that all of you know the gospel in a nutshell, don't you? That simple gospel message that you hear in John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's that simple. And it goes on. For God did not send his Son to, into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. not to condemn one another, not to go ahead and find out who the winner. And you know, maybe the Corinthians thought that they had already grew beyond this simple message. One gets the impression that they thought they could go on to something better than Jesus, better than God so loved the world. But when you do that, you lose the very foundation on which a congregation is built and how we are bound together in this fellowship because it is all about Jesus. And so he directs them to Jesus. The way of the world is to look for who's right and who is wrong and to choose sides. The way of the gospel that is to be the way of the church is to look to Jesus. It is who he is and what he does and what he did that is to join the congregation together with all their frailties, all their weaknesses and their faults and divisions. But the message, that's what joins them together. You know, if you look at the human side 
of Paul, the human side of the congregation. You look at pastors and members of the congregation, you'll get sidetracked, even divided. Because we all have frailties, we all have faults. And when there are divisions, the faults and the weaknesses become all the more apparent, all the more visible, and you start picking at them. And it's easy to forget that it's Jesus who binds us together. Knowing Jesus is vital, it's central, for without him, there is no church. The church is revealed as it gathers together around word and sacrament, especially in Holy Communion. And boy, did the Corinthians have trouble with communion. Those divisions were a problem at the beginning of the letter, and so Paul has to address them towards the end of the letter in chapter 11. But you know what? Even when you have trouble with communion, it is the same answer. Paul goes ahead and draws, draws them once again to God and his word and Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 11, he says, For what I received from the Lord, I also delivered to you, that our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also when he took the cup after supper, saying, This is, cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, it is the Lord's death that you proclaim until he comes. Yes, the Lord's death. That's the way you get the forgiveness of sins. Holy communion is not just some nice little taste of bread and wine we share together. Holy communion is a powerful thing that delivers what it says. Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, not that's because we were so nice or that he was going to be nice to us. Jesus died on the cross because of sinners who sin, causing hurt and harm to each other and denying their creator and so we're heading to hell. So now through his word, he gives us his body, his blood, in, with, and under, the bread and the wine for the forgiveness of sins, restoring us not only to God, but to restore also to one another human relationships what is put into our mouth and rings in our ears. And that means that if our spouse or family member communes or that person we disagree with communes, they get the same body, the same blood, the same forgiveness as we do. Since that's true, then anything that we hold against one another is done. We dare not hold anything back when we come up here to commune. Because 
to do that would be act as a hypocrite, sinning against the very body and blood of our Lord. In communion, all our sin is handed over to Jesus. You look at the back of your bulletin in Matthew 5, as it continues Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus points out how deep sin really goes. He demonstrates what the law uncovers as it peels away every shred of self-righteousness anyone could ever hold on to. There is no place before the Lord and His altar to think that we can be even better than others. For sin is so divisive, splintering human relationships. Human relationships are so important that Jesus goes ahead and says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember, your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then offer your gift. They had in the Old Testament the process, right? You brought your gift and then the priest would take the gift and offer it to the altar. He says, stop there. You know, in our service, you notice that the offering comes right before the Lord's Supper, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. You want to give something to God? Then remember your human relationships, the ones that are on earth. God wants you to have a good heart. Good hearts do good and acceptable actions to the Lord. It is good to remember that our giving is in relationship not only to God, but with one another. How do you serve God? By serving others. This happens with our offerings. When we give them to God, He doesn't come down and scoop them up, does He? Not like in Elijah where He comes down and burns them with fire. No. He goes ahead and entrusts our offerings back to us as a congregation to spend them as a community that is in Christ. First, for the proclamation of the gospel and the administration of the sacraments so that the preaching happens, baptisms are done, and communion is offered. And so also for the ministry of others, for the poor and the needy, for missions. As we've joined together with five other congregations, we are part of the ministry of Grace Lutheran School. We send a portion to the district and they send on to the synod and on to the mission field. That's what we do together in Christ. When we disagree, we are to go back to the foundation going back to who we are in Christ because He is our unity who heals all the divisions and enables us to be pastor and people together so that you are God's building, God's field. Amen. The peace of God that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.